This is Joel, Joel Spolsky, the host of the Stack Overflow podcast. Our podcast depends on listeners like you, who aren't you because you're already listening, and we need more listeners like you. We don't have any kind of fancy marketing budget. So please, if you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you. Previously on the Stack Overflow podcast. I want to start a Kickstarter for Joel bots. <laughs> <laughs> What do they do, Joel? Tell us. They just pretty much come on the podcast and do my job on this podcast. On this episode. This is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 105, recorded Thursday, March 16th, 2017, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York, home to Dan Smith, who will teach you guitar, where 8 million people live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy. Today's episode is brought to you by Stack Overflow Insights, and also St. Patrick's Day, a holiday that celebrates the rich cultural history of the Irish in America, through such classic ethnic stereotypes as the lucky Irishman and the drunken Irishman. You know your ethnic group has truly made it when it's socially acceptable to use its adjective form, like the Irish in Irish coffee, to literally mean adding hard liquor to your breakfast drink. On today's <laughs> podcast, as always, we have VP of Engineering, David Fullerton. Hey. Producer, Jess Pardue, is acting news editor. Hello. Filling in for Ilana Itzaki, who is off this week. Regular host, Joel Spolsky, is also missing out this week, along with anything that could check my power. Filling in for Joel... <laughs> I'm your host, Jay Hanlon, VP of Stack Overflow, the smartest, handsomest man in podcasting, supreme allied commander of the internet, queen of the Andals, and the undownvoted breaker of trolls, and of course, the mother of griffins. <laughs> this week is a very special episode of the Stack Overflow podcast, not in that 80s sitcom way where there was likely to be a super awkward talk with your parents afterward. This episode is special because we're sharing the results of the largest developer survey ever conducted, the Stack Overflow Developer Survey, not surprisingly, also known as how we use science to well actually everything you thought you knew about devs. Here in the studio with us to break down the results are the data doctors, or data doctors, I don't remember what our constitution says, Dr. Julia Silge and Dr. Dave Robinson, our resident data scientists. Welcome, guys. Hi, glad to be here. Hi, me as well. Welcome back, everyone. So I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Where is Joel? Oh, that's a good question. Somewhere warm? Joel's in Hawaii. No. Is he really? Nice. Did he go because I went there? Yes. He wants to be like Actually, me. Actually, no. Oh. I asked him to do a thing, and he said, no, I can't because I'm going to be in Hawaii. So he may have been lying to me, so he didn't have to do the thing I wanted him to do. Equally possible. He does lie a lot. Equally possible. In any case, Joel is not with us this afternoon, but don't worry, devoted listeners, because we do have robot Joel with us to fill in as necessary. Joel, are you there? What, what are you doing? I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. There he is. So he'll be piping in as necessary throughout the podcast today. So to be clear, we've taken Joel's sound effects board and replaced it entirely with sound clips of Joel. I feel like you're not marketing this right. Using our patented deep learning and artificial intelligence technologies, we have devised a proprietary algorithm that can deliver oh, no. Spolsky-esque words through I was doing so well there. I felt good you about were, it. For yeah, a while. No, it was, it was good. plausible. It was good. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's Joel bots. Joel bots. That's my joke. That's my joke. <laughs> okay. If Joel were here, I know what he would say. He would say, What's next on the lineup? <laughs> it's the Joel rant. And I have the Joel rant for today. I've been waiting so long for this. Oh my I'm gosh. I have so you. much. Listen, Joel, I got a lot of problems with this guy. <laughs> I just got to say, can we just enough with the bakery and the paratrooper stories from when he was in Israel? We've all heard them before. 
You can't even eat a slice of bread around the office without Joel coming in and critiquing the crust and the and the rise and all of these things. It's just, you know, it was a long time ago, Joel. We got to stop with the bakery I, stories. David, I hesitate to jump in because your points are salient, valid, and, and frankly, it's time somebody raised them. But the, the Joel rant is actually, it's not so much a rant about Joel as it's generally a rant by oh. Joel. Um, but this so, is now... By definition, David's rant. So David's rant can be about Joel all day long. It could. It could just okay, wasn't... okay, okay. I got this. I got another rant. All right. Okay. This one's topical. People in New York City, I don't know if it happens in other cities, but it happens all the time in New York City. People who think that when it snows, dog poop magically dissolves in the snow. <laughs> People in New York are generally pretty good at cleaning up after the dogs, except when it's snowing out. And then they're just like, I'm just going to leave it here for it to fester for the next, you know, eight to 24 months. <laughs> so I, I feel like I've never thought about this before, but you're 100%. You should be mayor of New York City. Let me let me say that first. I would vote for David Fullerton. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're the only person who would vote for me. <laughs> Maybe my wife. But so what, what is this? So the context here, everyone knows, we just had a not blizzard in New York. I got like a foot and a half of snow. Everyone made fun of us because we didn't get, you know, the 28 inches they were predicting and only got like 14 inches or something, but it was still a pretty significant snow. I had to go out there shoveling multiple times. So I have a little tiny, like 10 foot stretch of sidewalk that I have to shovel in front of my apartment. And there's just dog poop. Rest of the year, there's no dog poop. But when it snows, people just leave it there. And then I have to deal with it. Is this like just the, the cost of cleaning it up that it's cold out and unpleasant so people don't do it? Or is it half like, well, no one will see it here. Anyway. I think they really think like yeah. it'll be covered up with the snow and no one will notice and then it will just dissolve. And like... then when spring starts, which is supposed to be like next Tuesday or something. Oh, and then it all thaws out yep. at once. You're going to get the garbage too. That's also, it's a bad time to be in New York. Yeah. Sometimes they suspend garbage pickup and the garbage just piles up. New York is really not a lovely place to be in the winter. <laughs> and from an imagery perspective, uncleaned up dog poop is never lovely, but a turd in the middle of like a fresh field of white snow is somehow become like, it's like a Mapplethorpe photo all of a sudden. Like it's a much darker, weirder thing. There's, there's a contrast of some sort. <sighs> so is this better or worse than talking about bidets totally for 20 minutes? Are you kidding? That was gold. Radio gold. That's what it was <laughs> right there is what we have. Okay, so, David, it's good to hear your opinions on the topics you are most expertise at, which is complaining about your boss and, and poop. Most expertise? <laughs> most expertise? I knew you were, I That's knew, not so you a sentence, Jay. Mocking someone else and really breaking the grammar is a bad place to be. I don't like how that turned out for me. So, transitioning from what we'll hear to for until next week be known as David's rant or David's yes. complaints about Joel... What's next on the lineup? One minute tech review. Excellent. I get to do this one too. Excellent. All right. I've got three things, three things I want to review real quick. And I'm going to do it in a Joel minute, which means about six to eight minutes. For each of them, presumably, based on Joel's normal duration. Yeah, it's going to be rapid fire. Really okay. important. But okay. I need to get all three of these in here because it's like my only chance. All right. Here we go. Number one. Everyone ready? One minute tech review. The Nintendo Switch, Nintendo's new gaming console. Woo. Oh, wait, I can't review it because I can't get one because Nintendo is either terrible at supply chains or artificially create scarcity to drive stories about how everyone wants to get these things, either of which makes them a terrible company. So, Nintendo, I hate you. And Jay, I don't even want to hear about the Switch that you got, because I know you got one. Are you sure? Because it's fantastic. I, I don't cannot hear about say it. enough about how wonderful it is. Like, <laughs> I haven't played video games on a console. Oh my gosh, I don't even know how many years. Since I've had children, probably, it has changed my... 
I'm sorry, is this what you didn't want? I just can't take it. Everything okay. I hear about, everything I read about, the new Zelda, and I want to play it. And then it's like, oh, Switch, you may be in June. You might be able to get one of those. We don't really know. All right. Rant, uh, sorry, tech review number two, not to be confused with a rant. That's true. They're so different. Regular light switches. They just work all the time. Even if your Wi-Fi is down, you flick the switch and the lights come on. Some of the fancy ones even have dimmers, but then you have to buy special light bulbs because regular CFLs and cheap LEDs don't dim. But I have to say, in my experience, regular light switches, amazing. <laughs> you know, I recently visited Kaz's apartment in Denver. He's our mobile lead. And every light bulb in his house is hooked up through Visual Studio on his computer. So it's like if his computer crashes, like everything goes down. His Alexa doesn't work. His Spotify doesn't work. It's just, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It went a different way with it. <laughs> Kazra and Joel sharing similar but trivial interests. Did you say you had three one-minute tech reviews? I'm still in my minute, right? Yep, one minute absolutely. tech review number three. Plenty of time. The Instant Pot Pressure Cooker makes excellent food, especially when your stove is broken because the city shut off the gas to your apartment because a small leak was detected, and then it took six weeks for your landlord to apply for a permit to get it fixed. The Instant Pot Pressure Cooker. Buy it on Amazon. I actually have one of those. Me too. And they're wonderful. I bought it because there was an infomercial on at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it, was the first time, it was the first time I bought something because I saw it on an infomercial and probably ever, at least for like 10 years. But I was like, I need to try this. So we bought it and it is wonderful. It is, everybody needs an Instant Pot. It is actually nice. We got one a while ago and we used it a little bit, but now we're being forced to use it for literally like every single meal and things that you would not normally cook in a pressure cooker because that whole thing about the city shutting off your gas is not hypothetical in my case. So <laughs> that was a wonderful rant about the city municipal services. And the off chance any of our listeners care about this, can you give a quick description of what the Instapot, as we call it in our house, the Instapot does? Oh, you know, it's Instant Pot. No, call, I know. Everyone calls it the Instapot because that's so much easier to say, but, but it is Instant Pot. Yeah. It's just a really nice electronic pressure cooker that has become a bit of a cult classic that's not even a, it's yeah, like everybody has them now and yeah. so there's like a million recipes for them and it makes really tender beef stew in 25 minutes it's like a pressure cooker but without the danger of it exploding and without you having to like watch it all the time because it's electronic and it monitors its own pressure and turns itself on and off magically and it's really nice and you can turns out you can make all sorts of things like stews and meats and things that you would have to let cook for like eight hours you put them in there and they're done in like 30 minutes so that's great. Yeah, and they did a nice job. They made it seem all computerized. There's like a lot of settings. Like you press a button, it's like rice or this, which is interesting because every other device, like I'm told there's like a million engineers that work on how to make microwaves have like 92 custom sets that no one ever uses. Yes. The popcorn button on the microwave that consistently fails to cook popcorn correctly. Unlike that, the rice button on the Instant Pot works great. It works and they get you to use it. And they also sell it as having like 19 uses. Like it's a pressure cooker, it's a slow cooker, it's a yogurt maker, you can saute in it. And the truth is it's only really good at pressure cooking, but like you can sell it as all this stuff and then you buy one and then you realize pressure cooking is actually super handy. So it's great. It's a fine slow cooker too. And for us, we threw away our old slow cooker because we have a New York apartment and don't have room for two large devices. You make kanji in 45 minutes usually takes like a million hours. Fun fact, it was also the single best-selling item amidst televisions and all this other crazy, the single best-selling item on Amazon Prime Day, which is also when I bought it as a gift for my wife. It's not super cheap for like a crockpot-ish item. I forget what it cost. It was like 75 bucks or something on Prime Day. I think it's like 150 normally. All right. Well, there you go. That's my one-minute tech review. And in true one-minute tech review fashion, it took about eight to 10 minutes. I can't help but wonder if Joel were here, how would he think these reviews and rants went 
birthday is compared to his normal ones. I guess we'll never know, or will we? Oh my God, that's pathetic. Well, there you have it. (laughs) Side note, I'm getting one of these boards installed in my office, and I'm going to press the few positive things in here over and over again to make myself feel good. So moving on, or as Joel would say, what's next on the lineup? Can we get onto the Constitution question? (laughs) And so I will remind our regular listeners, as you know, we are preparing a Constitution for Stack Overflow. Each week, we bring you a proposal, and you, our listeners, decide whether that proposal becomes part of our new Constitution. Before we get to this week's new constitutional proposal, we need the results from last time. So, acting news editor Jess Pardue, what do we know? So, the question was, pro or con, is it okay flipping the variable and the constant in an if statement? And it was overwhelmingly con. Yes, this is one that Joel wanted, right? Joel is the only person who believes that you should flip them. This is perfect. Perfect for a show when Joel is out. Are you kidding? Aha. Aha. (laughs) (laughs) It was 80% con. So for clarification, con means it is not okay to flip the variable and the constant, which is to say the variable must come first near the if statement. Yes. Which someone pointed out is basically how English language works, which is why it reads more naturally when you read it that way. Yes. If two is the children number you have, it's it's weird. It's super (laughs) weird. It's super weird. And what was the winning entry, which of course, as you may recall, may be on either side, whether the winning or the non-winning, but it is the one that is most entertaining or clever to us. The winner was actually a pro. So it was Victor Villas with at underscore Villas V on Twitter. He said, pro... Be always careful we must, but only a Sith deals with absolutes. Also easier to read, it becomes. Love it. Love it. (laughs) That's funny. So he will be getting a nice Stack Overflow sticker. Thank you for your clever reference to Tolkien's Star Trek television series. (laughs) If you have any letters on that topic, please send them to Joel Spolsky. Upper West Side, care of Taco Mail Sorter. Which brings us, of course, to today's question. It is my understanding that the purpose of Stack Overflow's Constitution is to settle things that bother the person reading the constitutional proposal. And so that tradition shall continue. The question for this week, pro or con, when you say you are going to table a topic, does that mean you are deciding to discuss the issue now or you are deciding not to discuss the issue, at least at this time? Isn't this one regional? It's a tough one. Pro means you are deciding to discuss an issue when you say let's table an issue, and con means you are deciding not to discuss an issue when you say you are going to table it. As you may note, those two things are opposites, so any confusion in their use is highly problematic in a common language. Pro means I want to talk about it when I say table it. Right, so I'm Got trying it. to align them with the easiest to remember, which is pro means yes, talk about it. Con, con means no, is talk about it. stop talking about this. But if you were going to talk about it now, then why would you say you need to do anything with it, tabling or otherwise? Well, yeah, we'll settle this next week. Yeah, but aren't we supposed to talk about what we think about it? See, I, I'm scared I to bias this test because I'm UK so impassioned. Of, it, is okay. it? I thought it was just a regional is thing. a geographical difference in how people use this term? So what I've heard is the correct usage is to table it means to like put it on the table as in here's a thing we should talk about. As no. Well. Wait, no. The table. no. I was thinking the exact no. opposite. But the way Americans use it is the opposite, where table it means to get rid of it. I don't understand what the table is in that case. Maybe there's like a table (laughs) over on the side where we're going to put things that we don't talk about. 
Um, <laughs> yes. So it's, it's very emotionally healthy. That's where the emotionally healthy table is over there. <laughs> yeah. So, so David, you are wrong in destroying language as we know it. People now do constantly in the U.S. say, "Let's table a topic," meaning I guess to put it on the table in front of us and talk about it, which is the opposite of what that idiom has always meant, which is. Here we have an agenda or a discussion, but instead we will place this on the table over there and not deal with it now. And it will be sitting on the table if and when we ever need it in the future, but not now. And it has come to mean the opposite of what it meant before, much in the same way people use literally consistently to mean metaphorically, which is the opposite of literally, and it makes me nuts. And we're going to put a stop to it. We are. We're going to use democracy. I want to just point out there's an English Stack Exchange question about this. Oh, there is. But let's see what the listeners think. Yes. Obviously, we settle things yes. not factually or deductively, but by voting, because this is America. And that's working <laughs> out really well for us some of the time. So please. You know uh, what? Yes. You know what? We need me. to table this discussion. Uh, uh, I am going yeah. to accept what you just said, and I know what it should mean. And so with that, we are finished here. Post your answer to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast. With either pro or con and your explanation, make your explanation short but blonde like me. Short so it fits. <laughs> short. Why is it that funny? God, I, I wanted a small laugh. That was a little much. Short so it fits in 140 characters and blonde so it's hard to take it seriously as an adult. The best explanation, whether on the winning side or the losing side, will be read on next week's podcast and win a fabulous Lincoln Motor Company automobile. No, really? no, no. Are you kidding? So what? I like to think, because there's really, there's no one here to stop us, but I'm only kidding. I recognize none of you wants one of those, except unless Matthew McConaughey is listening right now, you will actually get a Stack Overflow sticker. You know what? Joel's not here. He's really not. Let's see if we can figure out right now who has the most complete authority here. Let's see if there's any way for us to tell. Jay and David are both vice presidents. Okay. So... <laughs> Given that, I think there's no point in having power or a mandate unless you use it. Listeners, this week, submit your answer to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast with either pro or con and your explanation. The best explanation this week will win not one sticker, but two stickers. Two fabulous Stack what? Overflow stickers. Drunk with Jay, power. We're going to run out of stickers. One for you, one for your husband, or one for the annoying neighbor who has a window that you think it'd be hard to scrape something off of. It's up to you how you use it, but two <laughs> Stack Overflow stickers and submit your ideas for future constitutional amendments, and one of them might even be named after you. Please post your proposed constitutional amendment to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast. That's the same hashtag. And if it is non-terrible, it is possible we will feature it in a future poll and maybe name it after you. So as long as we've got two doctors here, I've got this rash. Make them fight? Make them fight <laughs> each other to see who's the best doctor? Oh, my God. I would totally watch a game show where doctors engage in some Faced sort of physical conflict or ninja-style climbing contest. I mean, doctors are like Highlander, right? We actually are, yes. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Thought. There can be only one. <laughs> That's what I thought. It's been pretty difficult since I came on, yeah. <laughs> you ever get, if you're like on an airplane and they're like, is there a doctor on the airplane? And you're like, yes, but So I open not up my right laptop kind. and I open up our, and yep. <laughs> So as doctor, what's your biggest pet peeve? Is it like when someone who's a lawyer is like, well, I'm a doctor, took out the jurist, then you're like, yeah, you're not a doctor. Is it like that? It sort of is. My brother is a lawyer, so yes, that okay. is the most annoying possible thing. Dr. Dave's <laughs> brother, other fun fact about him, is a twin, unless you have more than one brother. I am. My twin brother is a lawyer, or twin used to brother. be a lawyer. Yeah. And I did not know he had a twin, and so my introduction to his twin brother is, I literally was like sitting, this is literally, I don't mean in a metaphorical sense, I was actually physically... I'm sitting facing Dave, we're in the cafe, and he like gets up and goes to the coffee machine for a second, and I hear a noise, and I look over my shoulder, and in the door walks Dave, but now in a suit. 
And it was like a David Copperfield <laughs> trick. And I'm like, I'm either having a dream or the world is bending and folding around me. And then I'm like looking around and I see there is two of them. And it was like one of the most reassuring moments of my at least Jay mental life. Yeah, fainted right there. That's my story about how the concept of twins breaks my brain. And I'm not super proud having it. It's very it. disorienting when you don't realize somebody has a twin. Yes. And the twin shows up. It, like I had that with a friend in college. You're like, you've known this person for a long time. And then all of a sudden there's two of them and you're like, it breaks your brain. Yes. So. Dev survey. Let's talk about the dev survey. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be, you know what? We've been spending a lot of time on it. It's been really interesting. Well, I hope so. Give us the quick overview. What's the background? Sure. sure. Yeah. So the survey was open for a while and we ended up with over 60,000 developers who took the survey and we've been spending a lot of time analyzing the results to try to understand it. And pretty exciting to be here talking about some of the things that we found. So that's bigger than last year, right? We had 50 some odd last year, I want to say. Yeah. Bigger change. than last year. Biggest ever survey of developers. Before we get into the survey results, Jay, could you just remind the listeners why we do a survey? Yes, we've done this survey every year since, I believe, 1904. We have asked, that's not true, but we've done a bunch of these. Every year since 2013, we have asked developers about what technologies they work with, about their coding habits, about their work preferences. Our goal continues to be to sort of help the world's developers learn, share, get better jobs. We call it level up sometimes as they have on Stack Overflow. And we learn a lot about them from simply knowing what they're doing, seeing which tags are trending, seeing what questions get hit, et cetera. But we also like to dig deeper and have developers tell us about more qualitative things, more of the things that they want in a job. And we can observe what jobs and what tech is trending, but why someone is inspired to leave what they're working on and start a new project and things like that are much harder to see. And so both in our broad quest and in our specific quest to help employers find the right developers and developers find better jobs, we really want to understand what developers need. The whole kind of concept between our jobs product, un unsubtle plug is we believe we've got the job board that is most developer-focused, that puts the developer's needs first, that doesn't allow spam, that doesn't allow fake job listings. And I'm not going to give you the whole spiel. I gave you a part of it already. Anyway, the survey is something we've taken on as a way to really use the fact that all the developers are already here to understand them better and maybe call out some of the things, especially the misconceptions that people think they want or that people think developers are doing that kind of fits some stereotype but doesn't fit them. So Julia, what do we know? Or Dave, what do we know? So I can talk about one of the really cool things we find out about is what technologies developers use to do their jobs. And this is the fifth year that we've given this survey, starting in 2013, and it's grown each year. But that means we can really see what's been growing and what's been shrinking during that time. So the thing that's really been growing are the languages Python and the Node.js web framework. They started out really small, particularly Node.js has grown like a really large amount just in the five years we've been taking the survey. It used to be just 8%, now it's over 20% of developers end up using it. Sorry, just for audience clarification, we say using it. Worked with it in the last year. Got it. So developers who are actively working with this language in the year before taking the survey. Exactly. And that's one of the interesting things we have is we asked two questions about each of these languages and technologies. We asked, what have you worked on in the last year? And we asked, what do you want to work on in the next year? We don't just know what people are currently using and the most common languages, but we know what people want to start using and what they want to stop using. So don't keep us in suspense here. <laughs> so they are using... JavaScript is the biggest programming language in the world. It leads up this year. It led last year. We see other technologies like SQL right there at the top in terms of the thing that the largest percentages of our respondents were using. JavaScript, SQL, Java, C Sharp. 
but we see that the fastest growing one, the one that people don't use it yet, but want to use it, are Python and, and Node.js. We see 21% of people that don't use Python want to use it, say with 22% of people Python. who use Node. Yeah. Python's been around forever. Yeah, but I think the most obvious takeaway from this is it must be that Python is awesome and R sucks. Is that, I mean, that, that's the right conclusion, <laughs> is, it, is it not? Am I trolling the That's right way here? Because I'm really, I'm trying to upset you. Is it? Is that how <laughs> you're, I... doing, you're doing all right. But okay, you need, all you right. need a few more letters after your name to be able to troll me. Oh, so, you know. wow. <laughs> Man, doctors so, are the worst. <laughs> For me, what was really interesting is definitely to see what people currently use they want to keep using and also what they currently use that they want to stop using. They say they don't want to use in the future. So what they currently use that they don't want to use, we say they dread. It's led the second year in a row by Visual Basic. We see Visual Basic and Visual Basic 6 at the top of those lists. Womp womp. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Only thing worse than Visual Basic generally, Visual Basic 6 specifically. <laughs> but you also see CoffeeScript, which I think is really interesting. Oh, as a dread. Yeah, so CoffeeScript. Interesting. I'm not a web developer, so maybe someone correct me, but my understanding is CoffeeScript is more or less meant to write JavaScript, but make it have different syntax that looks something more like Python. Yeah, Ruby, it's supposed to be sort of a nicer syntax for JavaScript for people who don't like JavaScript, and it has some nice features. And then you compile or transpile it to JavaScript, which is what actually runs on the web. What's interesting is it was like the hot thing for a few years. Like everybody loved CoffeeScript. Everyone was switching to using CoffeeScript, or at least blogging about how they were switching to using CoffeeScript. And it had a moment when it seemed like everyone was talking about it. Yeah, you can really see this even in our Stack Overflow data too. CoffeeScript was growing really, really quickly and then it shrunk really quickly. There's this brutal life cycle of JavaScript-related technologies. Everyone's onto the next great thing. Exactly. Backbone.js is also shrinking. That's not in the survey. That's from our other data. Whereas things like Angular and React are growing really quickly. And React's another one. Of people that use React, two-thirds want to keep using it. Of people that don't use React, another 20% do want to start using it. That's of everyone that says they don't currently work with it. So there is a lot of shift in JavaScript frameworks, and we've seen this all over the survey and all over our data. Yeah, we saw it in hiring trends, too. We did a report and a blog post on looking at the same kind of questions, but in job targeting, like on Stack Overflow jobs, like what are people looking for? And we saw the same kind of things, like looking from 2015 to 2016. We saw evidence for this really short life cycle in these JavaScript frameworks that things were rising and then falling. So we see it both in job targeting, in Stack Overflow traffic, like from tags that people look at. And also here we see it on the survey as well. This almost feels like one of these things where like you take a known thing and it is problems and people don't like the problems. And someone's like, I'm going to do a thing that modifies this to fix a bunch of problems. And everyone's like, that's awesome. That is hot. I hate those problems too. I'm going to love this new thing, but it's a new thing. And when you fix the old problems, you generally introduce these new issues or new complications. And so it works worse in other ways. And so you get this curve of like, when it is first articulated or presented, it feels like it is better in every way because it was designed to fix known issues. But the things that it makes worse are not known until it's actually used more. And so you get either some leveling or is it that kind of thing, David? Or am I just, is that a... Which David? <laughs> I'll take it from whoever knows what the hell they're talking about because I don't. <laughs> I definitely think that fits the narrative that I've seen. I talked to one of our web developers who had tried it and he said at first it can be refreshing. But one of the problems, the JavaScript that it generates is really hard to go in and edit yourself. And often when you find yourself doing that at the end, which you almost always do eventually, it just makes it a painful process. And the other thing I think you know is that JavaScript's been getting better every year in other ways. So in some right. ways it can surpass it. 
Yeah, I would say, so there's obvious problems. There's things people hate about JavaScript that they complain about that need to get fixed. I think CoffeeScript kind of went a little too far away from JavaScript. And the thing Dave was alluding to, because it still has to transpile into JavaScript, you still end up like debugging the actual JavaScript it generates. So it's like you can't really get away from JavaScript. You're working in a language that only, you know, sort of maps to the language that's actually being produced and run. I think people are now shifting away from that back to either just waiting for better JavaScript to come out or using things like TypeScript, which are much closer to JavaScript and where JavaScript is going. So you're not, you know, sort of getting so far away from the actual language that's being run in the browser. Aren't we moving to TypeScript? Yeah, we kind of went through that same thing. We tried out CoffeeScript on a couple of projects and some people loved it, some hated it. But the one that's really clicking for most teams now is TypeScript. And so I think most of the web teams have moved to TypeScript or are starting to move to TypeScript. It's Stack Overflow. Fun fact, apparently CoffeeScript and Backbone were created by the same person. Ooh. <laughs> oh, so now when I get a lot of angry hacker news comments about this, I'm just going to assume they're all from this one person, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, Backbone's a little bit different. The Backbone Ember React stuff, they're really frameworks built on top of JavaScript. And I think there you're just seeing sort of the evolution. And I think the problem is we saw this sort of with the Angular 1 to 2. It's hard to rewrite it. Like Backbone was basically like the first one of these that came out and it was great for its time, but then it's just been kind of surpassed and it's easier to just move to something newer and better than fix Backbone. Backbone Ember React so sounds like some sort of terrible entry in like a brief poetry slam contest. <laughs> <laughs> Another question that we asked on the survey this year that was new this year that we had asked for the first time was to ask developers, what do you think is the best way to evaluate performances, like to evaluate your own performance? How do you think that your own company should evaluate your performance? And Wait. it was really interesting to see what the respondents on our survey chose for this. They had choices of things like, how many bugs did you find? Or what did your manager... Clapometer, <laughs> maybe? <laughs> what does your manager think of you? Or how many lines of code did you write? Just to clarify, this is how they believe they ought to be judged, not how they yes. are being judged, what they believe the yes. optimal way to judge developers' success... Yes, yes. What developers think should be the most important thing. So the things that were chosen with the highest frequency were customer satisfaction, like how happy are customers with what we're building? And do we do our work on time and in budget? Like, do we ship? Okay. So those were things were picked by about 70% of developers compared to much lower rates by a lot of the other choices. So I thought that was really interesting that developers see those things as like most important things about the work that they do compared to how many lines of code have I written or do I have to like rate myself on a self-rating thing or that type of thing? Stack ranking. One thing I think it's interesting is their key focus, as I think we would expect, but many people might not, is a much broader perspective on the actual use of this. What they're interested in is how the product serves the end user need. And also from a business perspective, how it works within the context of, you know, running a business, being able to get things done on time and in budget. And I think that's not a surprise to any of us, I don't think we're our listeners, but I think it challenges People who envision, you know, the lone programmer sitting obsessed with the quality of his code and, you know, doesn't understand why marketing always wants it to be what people want to use. And I, I think that's kind of cool. Yes, that's actually really closely related to another question we asked this year that was, okay, you as a developer, what do you think recruiters should value 
when recruiting? Like when companies are trying to hire a developer, what should the recruiters look at? How much you can bench press. <laughs> Number one answer. Really? No, no, no. <laughs> no. I got so excited. So there were options that ranged from how much do you contribute to open source to where did you go to school or where have you worked before? But the top two answers were communication skills and track record of getting things done. And I hmm. thought that was so interesting. So these are developers saying, what do I think I should be evaluated on when getting hired? And what developers are saying are, I think if a recruiter is trying to say, who should we look at? Who should we hire? You need to look at who has a track record of actually getting work done, getting the things done that need to be done. And how good am I as a developer at communicating with the people around me who need to know what need to be done? People skills. I have people skills. <laughs> to learn more about how to hire developers with a focus on whether they are smart and get things done, buy Joel Spolsky's Smart and Gets Things Done. Available in bookstores near you. I'm just kidding. There's no bookstores near you. Available on Amazon.com. <laughs> it only sort of maps to Smart and Gets Things Done. I think the communication skills, that's in there, and Joel talks about that. I think it's an important part of getting things done, but it's definitely something I've learned over my career as a dev and then as a manager of devs. Like The hard technical skills are important, but the soft communication skills are are sometimes underappreciated. What I've seen or what I've realized is like, that's what really ruins a dev. It's not really that they're not smart enough or they're not technical enough. It's usually you get people who are smart and technical, but don't know how to communicate and work in a team. And that may make you good at coding alone on your hobby projects, but not any good at working in a company or working on a big open source project where you have to work with other people. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, what this survey seems to indicate is that those things aren't underappreciated by developers. developers. Yep. Yeah. Like you said, Jay, it's that common narrative where outsiders think this is important, but devs don't value it. And actually, the truth is it is important and devs know that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how that differs by something like age or type of developer. We didn't take a look at that, but... Not yet, but that'd be super interesting to look at. Do we have any data scientists who could break that down for us? <laughs> <laughs> Only we had someone around here who knew how to yeah, do those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what else do we know? Users of which technology are the worst human beings? Let's, let's jump right to that. <laughs> I can't tell you worst human beings, but I can tell you top pain... And by high correlation there, I, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Jay used to work in finance, so he has a good understanding of the relationship between salary and bad people. I think it's finance and bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I actually mostly worked with good people in finance. If any of you are listening, yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay, so tell us, what do we know? Certainly within the United States, it varies a little worldwide. The top paying programming language was Go. We had your average Go programmer making $110,000 a year. Is that because they all work for Google? It's possible. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a big question. Interesting. That's a good hypothesis. As you might know, correlation does not imply causation. So I thought it did. I think it's the other way around. I uh, think it does. Uh, it's been We're so failing. long in school. Yeah, it's been so long since school. Yeah. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you learn Go, you'll get paid more. But it certainly does suggest that's something used by developers in more high and paying jobs. Also there, Scala. And oh, and here's CoffeeScript. Turns out to be very well-paying, which makes you wonder why so many people are quitting it. It's the COBOL of our generation. It's like no. <laughs> you've got the one person who still knows how to debug the CoffeeScript, and you don't dare fire them, and they keep demanding raises, <laughs> and you just have to give it to them because they're the only person that understands the CoffeeScript. The last one makes sense, though, right? So in other words, if people who work in CoffeeScript don't like working in CoffeeScript, and we don't have any reason to believe they have fewer options than anyone else, it makes sense that they're higher paid for work. In a language they don't like. Right. If you want people to do a thing they don't enjoy. I like my theory, Jay. I like my theory. So that is interesting. The Go 
it can't really be mostly Google employees. Like that's. I think we actually do see if we look at global trends in Go, it's definitely highly overrepresented in the San Francisco area and Mountain View. Also in China, I think I brought that up the last time oh, I was yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the kinds of things that you do in Go are not really your sort of run-of-the-mill web development. Tend to be a little lower level and you know more performance conscious, which could be sort of more higher-paying jobs. But any of the people that I talk to that programming go on a regular basis they love go like people are really 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 excited <laughs> about go oh, man, the and go they will tell you forever how much they love they go Wait, how up. does that differ from every other programmer and their favorite <laughs> yeah, language or true. vegans yes. it sounds like vegans too <laughs> <laughs> well it's the difference between them and say the coffee script developers who are just kind of ashamed and sit quietly in the corner you know I've, that's a question for next year's survey is how proud are you of your favorite language or how much do you love your favorite uh, language yeah. or, good idea like a scale of one to ten yeah, really yeah love yeah. it sort of love it hate it i hate my favorite language you hate your that's hurts <laughs> <laughs> my head the interesting thing with that too is i might be misusing confounding factor but one factor i would think would throw these off a little bit is like you can see some languages that are just older getting paid more what it actually implies is if you work in that occasionally or you did or whatever you're just older which means you're probably further in your career which means you're higher paid well go is a relatively yeah. young language it's not that we saw that it was a language that i actually had to look up what it was because i never heard of it was it. small talk yeah <laughs> we actually did examine this there is a correlation so for example pearl is among the more higher paying technologies sure. it attracts higher paying jobs because people in pearl tend to have more experience been using it for longer so yeah, we did see that relationship. Small talk Small was talk. one of the highest pain, and it also it just happened to be one where people in it had a disproportionately high amount of experience. I don't even yeah. know what small talk is. It's an older language. I had to look it up. I think the thing they always brag about is the, the first object-oriented language. So I don't know. The, the yeah. small talk people, when you get them going there, they're like the Go people. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to get so many angry letters. Please send them all to at Spolsky on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think small talk, I could definitely see that. The people who work on that and who know it are going to be older, more experienced devs because it's not really a language people would start new projects in now. So anything else like that? I'm always fascinated when there's like almost the data links to some kind of demographic suggestion or like, I forget the specifics, but last year there was this thing where like, we're like, this is crazy. The people who use like Fortran are like six times more likely to be trekkers than to be Star Wars enthusiasts. <laughs> we're like, it's bonkers. There's something fundamental about this connection. And then we were like, Oh, right. They're 14 years older because that's when Star Trek was popular relative to Star Wars. Do we see any other things that spoke to any sort of demographics that were interesting? I think so. One thing that we saw that I thought was interesting was looking at differences in job satisfaction. Oh, cool. Yeah, by a couple of different ways that we could look at some of the survey respondents. So, for example, if you look at the survey respondents and see how does their job satisfaction change with remote working we see that when developers work remotely more, they have higher job satisfaction. Or people who work in software or technology, they tend to have higher job satisfaction than people who work in finance, for example. <laughs> I know. In other news, college students like pizza and toddlers have short attention spans. Yeah, yeah. Also, this is probably confounded with that last one that I just said, but the more often you commit code, the higher your job satisfaction is as well. Always oh, be that's shipping. cool. Yeah. Always be shipping. Yeah. So I, I work remotely. And I commit code multiple times a day. And so that's why I'm so happy. <laughs> Let's do some science. Would you yes. say you're happy or like super awesome happy? I'm super awesome happy, obviously. I love it. Yeah. You're selling it. I believe you. I yeah. believe You're making me super awesome happy. Yeah. And I work in an office and I never commit my code <laughs> and I'm miserable. So I think 
Oh, yeah. That does explain the difference. And you're both doctors, so you're basically the same. I mean, this is a really well-controlled well controlled experiment. Yep. No. Oh, I'm not, I'm not miserable. And sample size of two. I mean, I think we could probably publish this. <laughs> hey, wait, hang on. Did everyone here hear that? We all heard it together. It's been peer-reviewed. Nice. <laughs> Speaking of remote work, we asked about remote work on the survey, right? We did. We did. So it was one of the highest things that the respondents chose is something they use to evaluate jobs. Like if they're, they're going to assess a job and say, you know, how good is this job or not? Whether there were remote options was one of the most important things. And 64% of developers reported working remotely at least one day a month. So, I mean, that's quite a lot. So I'm not even going to hide the plug, but if you're interested in remote work, we've long time been an advocate of remote work here and have talked about making that work. But if you're looking for remote work jobs, it's one of the things we put into, I don't know how early, but we, uh, we baked in. It's a specific filter you can use in Stack Overflow jobs. And I think we're in the process of looking at ways to help encourage more employers to think about it and look at that as a way to market. You've shifted from, we hire the world's best developers who live near my headquarters or are going to move there with their families to we actually will hire the world's best developers if we can convince them it's a great place to work. Stackoverflow.com slash jobs slash remote. Since we're doing a plug, I mean, we might as well yep. just yeah. go all the way. If you want more diversity in your devs, then remote work is essential to that. Agreed. If you want to hire devs who all look the same and live in San Francisco, well, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of diversity, most people who are developing full-time seem to be here multiple times a month. And so we have a decent sense of some demographics from the visitors to Stack Overflow. And last year, I know we were very disappointed, frankly, that the representation and the survey responses seemed to be much lower for women, which is to say it underperformed even the really low numbers that we believe we're seeing as general traffic. This year, what do those numbers look like? And I think in the past, we didn't want to kind of get ethnicity wrong. And this year, we really took the time to dig into ethnicity and background and ask about that too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is right. So this year, our general sort of sense of traffic to Stack Overflow is right around the 10% number for women. Yep. And this year, for our U.S. respondents, we got about 10% women on the survey. So it's not quite that high for worldwide respondents, but we were really happy, to, at least to be moving closer to that direction and yep. in the U.S. to have gotten a more accurate reflection of who we think the developer population is when it comes to men and women. Right. These numbers are hard to measure, I think, but our traffic suggests that ballpark, something around the number of people actively developing for women, maybe around 10 or 11%, which is obviously abysmal. But I think one of the things we hate to see is the survey further underrepresenting that. So at least from the U.S. sample, it's cool to see that getting more balanced. What about ethnic and racial background? Do we learn anything? I don't think we actually had numbers on that in the past. No, this is the first year that we've asked about that. Yeah. And we haven't really dug into differences like geographically, right? Uh -huh. Because we have a really strong traffic from India is really important to us, like as a Stack Overflow community and sure. in the survey. So we haven't really dug into very much to be able to say a lot as far as like, what do things look like in the United States? What did things look like in different parts of the world when it comes to race and ethnicity? But we did ask that question for the first time this year. I don't know that we had a great baseline. I think unlike gender, to my knowledge, you don't get these numbers from Quantcast or Google type analytics. Was anything in there surprising to either of you? I didn't have a strong baseline other than to say it appears that 
most people of color, at least in the U.S. and Europe, are underrepresented in technology, but I didn't really have a great sense of by how much of what those numbers look like. I don't know if either of you guys did. Generally, yeah, I'm not sure with regard to about 75% of our respondents to the survey were white, uh-huh. followed by about 9% being South Asian. Yeah. And yeah, I don't have any way really of knowing how that reflects Stack Overflow traffic or the developer population as a whole. I'm curious, the numbers on people who self-identify as Black or Hispanic? For Hispanic, of the survey respondents, it was 5.6%. For Black, it was 2.5%. Interesting. Okay. But we did ask a question about diversity being important to you, right? Yeah. What did we learn there? Yeah, that was an interesting question. So we saw that almost 90% of developers chose answers that were either strongly agree, agree, or somewhat agree that diversity is important. For a data-minded audience, sorry, what are they agreeing with? What's the actual statement? That diversity in the workplace is important. And we looked at how that varied over different types of populations. So for example, if we looked at years of professional coding experience, did this percentage change over years of experience? And we didn't see big changes there. We do see higher rates of people who are black or of African descent or Hispanic, higher rates in those groups of people agreeing and saying that it's important or strongly important. And we always see that women answer that question with agree or strongly agree at higher rates than men do. But overall, it sounds like the vast majority of all respondents, right, including the ones who are maybe perhaps least obviously affected by this, I'd argue we're all affected by the the problems that come with lacking perspective. But even amongst white men, right, the rates of finding it important are still pretty high. Are still high. Yep, they're still high. And across ages is interesting, right? The kind of simple narrative we might tell is like, well, young people understand how the world is now, and they don't have those old prejudices that the old people had. But Maybe they also have had less time to see the positive effect of different types of thought. Maybe they're less mature, or maybe I'm just making up stories and the truth is it's just about the same. People get it. Yeah, no. So I am actually the one who worked on that particular part of the analysis. And I did kind of have these stories in my head like, oh, it, what's this going to show, you know, as people with less experience compared to more experience? But it was almost flat. And you know what? I think back to the mentors I've had in my life who did have quite a bit more experience than me. And I'm like, you know what? I have had really supportive, amazing mentors at all stages of my life. So yeah, like maybe there just are always people in all these different stages of life that understand how important this is to our community as developers, like if we want to do good work together. Awesome. Any big surprises? Anything else that jumped out at you guys? One thing I thought was really cool is another technology that a lot of people that don't use it want to use it and people that use it want to keep using is Rust. That's something that hasn't really broken in that much, but people that use it seem to like it, which might be why they tend to use it on the weekends. Isn't that right, Julia? Yes, that's right. Rust was one of the ones that had a high use on the weekends. So Julia had a blog post about what tags people visit on the weekdays and the weekends. And Rust was one of the things that people tend to use in their weekend projects and visit their related Stack Overflow questions and ask about them. So it makes some sense that people that use it seem to like it. That's interesting. The numbers at that scale seem to suggest, you had theorized about it, but it sounds like it is things people do when they don't have to, as we're seeing. Yes. Yeah. 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 What sort of silly questions did we ask this year? All right. So computer programmers and hackers and people who work on IT are represented in fiction, right? Like in books and movies and TV. And so we asked a question where we had people in a free text field type in what fictional character they thought was interesting. And so there were four versions of this question. So different people got different versions of this question. There was one for most realistic, least realistic, most annoying. Yeah, I got the most annoying one. It's not a random sample, David. (laughs) And inspirational. Just from a methodology perspective, to clarify, so that's not to say like you were picked for some reason. 
in order no. to ask more questions without making the survey longer, we have such a big sample size, we're able to split some questions so you kind of randomly get put in a bucket and we can get more answers without increasing length. Right. But what were the answers? Yes. So first of all, everyone just answered Mr. Robot. <laughs> like the most frequent answer to all four of these was Mr. Robot. So, so it was the best and the most annoying. Wait, what? And so, <laughs> yes. The best and the worst and the most accurate and the least accurate. That's weird. Yes, yes. So Elliot, right, for Mr. Robot is the yeah. most and least realistic and, and annoying <laughs> and inspirational. But once you look beyond just what did people say most frequently, you can say which words were people more likely to say on one version of the question than another. And then you can start to see differences. So for example, the fictional character that people were most likely to say on the least realistic was Hackerman from Kung Fury. Kung Fury, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, he's so great. <laughs> I heard about this today and it turns out I was surrounded by Kung Fury oh, fans. Oh, Kung Fury is so it. wonderful. I'll I smiled. What the hell is Yeah, I don't know what we're uh -huh. talking about. Uh -huh. Am I the only one that has seen Kung Fury? It's a 30-minute masterpiece of a video where this kung fu cop goes back in time there's Sorry. dinosaurs there's hackermen there's like amazon women i don't it's... think i understand this anymore after your oh, explanation man, yes. before. So yeah. good. i don't know I what a kung fu cop is i'm there's... not familiar with hackermen as a profession <laughs> or... no that's his name that's his name that's his name is this gentleman named mr or senior hackerman in fact a hacker man because yes. he is a hacker yes yeah oh my god that's pathetic <laughs> He hacks him back in time, and it's so great. You just have to watch it. I will put okay. a link this to it. This is a joke that I'm not in on. Yeah, if Joel were here, I would just think I was being trolled, and he was making every sentence up as he said it out loud. <laughs> okay, so the other interesting thing on least realistic, the things that were most likely to be put in that list were almost all from television shows, like Criminal Minds, CSI. Procedurals. Yes, all the people who do like hacking and those. You know, like the two idiots, one keyboard thing? Right, it shows where they have to show computer work by panning across someone typing furiously at a computer from behind as they are finishing a montage of things being poured in vials and other things happening, <laughs> where at the end, there is a great revelation and they know something seemingly magically. Yeah. Okay. And the other interesting thing I want to say about that question was that the questions for most inspiring had a wider variety. Like people had a broader number of things that they put in the most inspiring option. Like what? So, of course, the most frequently chosen answer was Mr. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> so I've only seen season one. It's a wonderful show. It's very well made. It is the least inspiring thing I've ever watched on television. It is dystopian, right? dark, and depressing in every way. And the good guys do not seem to be winning for the part I've seen. But okay. Yeah. So other people that we saw in inspiring were, uh, so first of all, Tony Stark, <laughs> Iron Man. Nice. <laughs> but we saw books. So actual novels got over the threshold in this one. So some books actually that I really love, like Neuromancer got Gibson? in here and Snow Crash. And Stevenson. Yeah, Stevenson. yeah. And, yeah. Yep. Yep. And Felicity Smoke from Arrow. She got in this one a little bit. Yeah. So that was a fun question to work on, I think. So we'll have a blog post going up on this analysis relatively soon. Awesome. So obviously there'll be tons more in-depth analysis. I know you guys are still crunching a lot of stuff. By the time you're listening to this, the full kind of overall results will be up. Uh, what's the URL again? The URL, if you want to check out the results yourself, is stackoverflow.com slash insights slash survey slash 2017. 
And as you might guess from that URL, if you want to see other year's surveys, you can just go to slash insight slash survey and see a list of all the previous year's surveys. Also, it will be in the show notes. And then we'll also be releasing, I think, a series of sort of more in-depth analyses of various areas where we're going to kind of cross-reference different questions to kind of pull out some more of the interesting things you've already observed. And as always, this takes a little bit longer because we do a lot of work to make sure the data is clean and doesn't reveal anything, but we will release an appropriately anonymized version of these results. So if you want to do your own analysis, you can go ahead and do that. That actually takes us probably, uh, I don't know, a bunch of weeks, but it is coming. So please do read the survey. Let us know your thoughts, share what you observe, and we hope to keep helping to understand devs better so we can help them take over the world. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I hope they'll keep me on. <laughs> okay, so. What's next on the lineup? The news. Jeff Atwood, founder of Stack Overflow and beloved Ooh, founder friend. Founder of what? Friend Jeff, of the show. <laughs> Jeff Atwood, founder of Stack Overflow and beloved friend to all of us recently published a rant titled Password Rules Are Bullshit to point out that many common password rules are not particularly secure. In place of current practices, Atwood suggests developers focus on such things as preventing users from selecting common passwords and enforcing a minimum Unicode password length. So this is obviously not the first time someone or even Jeff has talked about like what should a secure password be. What I did not expect was so much on like toe print authentication. That came as a big surprise to me. I thought it would be a whole different direction. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about what goes wrong and some of the challenges, but if I could summarize, the main idea, passwords have to be long, right? That is his thesis. That the only consistently sane requirement, if I understood the piece correctly, is that passwords have to be long. Longer is better and check for common. You can basically use the databases of all the passwords that have been leaked to detect common passwords and prevent people from using dumb, obvious passwords that are well-known. Password rules are weird. Programmers like to think it's about entropy, or it's about, you know, how common is the password or all this. What it really is, you're in a competitive game against people cracking passwords. And so what you're trying to do is Worst pick a password <laughs> that their algorithm for guessing passwords is going to take a really long time to get to, right? And so their dumb algorithm might be, let's start with all the common English dictionary words or whatever language they're trying to crack, right? And so they try that. And so it's like, well, then let's make sure nobody puts in a common English dictionary word. But then people start being like, well, I'll just put, you know, password one. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Hang on. Can you see what I'm typing on my computer when I'm <laughs> using it? This, this is freaking me out. <laughs> So it's, a, I think, kind of an interesting, tricky problem to get right. I think that those two rules are generally good, right? Require, or if you're trying to have secure passwords, whatever else you're doing, go longer, err on the side of long, and, you know, make sure, or if you're writing a password checker, check it against the most common passwords. All the other stuff where it's like, oh, you must have three numbers and one special character and stuff, it's not at all clear that those may actually make anything more secure because everyone just does their unsecure password and then appends some characters until the password checker lets them through, which is a really easy pattern to predict if you're trying to crack passwords. I do like the idea of having a phrase as your password, and then you can turn that into emojis, which I really like. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's written about this in the past, and there's an awesome XKCD, which I think he actually embeds here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, the uh, XKCD. Randall Monroe, of course, which talks about how essentially you've got this problem where like people are using the wrong passwords because they're easily guessable by guessers, bad guessing people like the worst villain ever is the guesser. And then they do a thing which, in theory, if no one knew it was happening, 
would help with that, right? So no one is guessing a number that has like, you know, a hashtag in it and a capital letter somewhere weird. So that works for like a second until everyone knows that. And then the most common ways of doing that all break down almost instantly. And as XKCD would point out, all you've really achieved then is you've made it hard to remember passwords or hard to generate them with a random generator without giving it a whole bunch of rules. And so you've increased difficulty without necessarily increasing security, right? And I think Jeff's arguing here, which makes sense to me, and it's actually kind of aligned with one of his earlier pieces, is as you add length, length always helps, basically. And then to your point, David, it's like slice off the ones that are most likely to be guessed, even though they might be long, you know, there's some phrases or the alphabet or a bunch of letters in a row that people are going to guess super consistently, but you can just take a relatively small number of blacklisted passwords, basically, and combine that with length. And that will be at least as effective as much more painful things. That that sound right? Yeah, I think so. It's interesting because you're in an arms race with the password crackers, right? And so there's kind of this odd thing where if everyone does the same thing too, it kind of makes our job easier, right? And so it's like the common patterns become the things that they write into the crackers and start looking for. So like one thing, you know, passwords started requiring special characters, right? Which was genius at the time because nobody put special characters in and so your passwords are going to be uncrackable. And then you just add that to the password cracker and start testing, you know, the 10 special characters that are at the top of everyone's keyboard and it doesn't actually accomplish anything, right? It's like you took the space from 26 letters to you know 36 it's like it doesn't actually increase the complexity that much they don't go um, in order do they because i'm now feeling like password one exclamation point was not as sound as i, <laughs> I seemed at the time or like lead speak right another common thing like people replace a letter with a number that looks sort of like it right and it's like ah that's super easy to write into your password cracker right that stuff's all in there everybody does that so the one thing the length clearly expands the complexity space in a way that makes it much much harder to just brute force crack passwords in a way that just adding special characters or capital letters don't at all, really. All of my passwords are just guess, lowercase, and I've only been hacked 47 <laughs> times. Admin, admin. Um, I just... This is a very special episode of the podcast in which we bring in a hacking victim to share her tragic tale in the hopes that you may learn from what happened to her. So don't use guest in lowercase, use guest in all caps, and then you'll be fine. Exclamation point <laughs> to satisfy the special character requirement. <laughs> awesome. So I think we can deem this to be real news. We support Jeff Atwood and agree with almost everything he has said, and we would do so even if we didn't know him personally. A++. Next news item. Facebook updated its developer policy this week to explicitly prohibit the use of its data and surveillance tools. This update comes after significant pressure from organizations such as the ACLU, which has uncovered instances of devs using Facebook's API to create surveillance tools for law enforcement. For example, in October, the ACLU reported that surveillance software company Geofedia pulled information from protesters' posts on Facebook and sold the data to law enforcement. So this one was confusing to me at first because it's not a policy for Facebook's own developers that they employ. It's a policy regarding their API right. and acceptable use of their API. They didn't like it before, and when they caught these things, they banned them. But now they're explicitly making you, when you sign up to use Facebook's API, you have to say why you're going to use it. And it is explicitly against their terms to use it in these ways. So in a sense, it's sort of just a policy, right? It's a question of like, how are they going to enforce that? How do they know? Yeah, I think they're trying to do two things. So having danced with some of these issues before, so you, you get into this world where like, you want to share information either because it's good for business purposes or you just want to support a community. And so you want to make as much information available through an API as you can to developers who want to use it and build on it, et cetera. 
And then what starts happening is like you'll run into an unanticipated consequence, like a situation you didn't expect where someone's like, aha, I've taken this to match people with like the sneakers they bought and spam them because I found their email address somewhere else. And you're like, oh, I want to stop that. So what you do then is you block something that breaks the link when you can. So you do a thing that makes that hard to do. You pull it out of the API. So they literally can't do it. You physically stop it. There's two problems with that. One is you have to anticipate it. You basically can't stop the abuse till the abuse happens often if you can't think far enough ahead. And what this does is it's not the same as blocking it. It's not the same as like a criminal law, but you basically make it a contractual violation, right? If it's a violation of your terms of service to use it in ways that you can broadly describe, that helps you not have to anticipate everything. And while it's not quite the same line of defense, building a whole business on something that is a contractual violation is not a good idea. It's crazy. It's interesting. It doesn't solve the like, I don't know, hackers problem or something of like, you know, some lone person decides to do something evil with the API. It's really aimed at these companies that are trying to make business out of it and sell it to law enforcement. And that is where you can apply some leverage and actually, you know, stop them from building a business on this. Yeah. So sometimes it just lets you deal with stuff you haven't anticipated. And the second thing is sometimes there's stuff you want to keep accessible, but you don't want used a certain way. So like you could block it, but then you'd be kind of burning these developers or other people that either for your own business reasons or just to be supportive, you want to let them have access to to stop the abusers. This lets you put just essentially a layer of contractual protection. Right. And this isn't crazily dissimilar to like some of the stuff we did with Stack Overflow jobs users profiles. There's obviously no email or stuff there, but we knew there were some companies that were scraping all that stuff and then trying to use it in kind of yucky and annoying ways that both were bad for our business and were harassing our users. But we neither wanted to like block all crawlers or even in the API restrict certain things. And instead, we just say like, you can't use it for this. And doing so is a violation of our... Yeah. Just to be really clear about what was happening, it is kind of similar because there were companies building a business on scraping Stack Overflow profiles and then cross-correlating them to other profiles where you could spam them or get an email address like their GitHub and then selling that to companies and being like, use our database to search Stack Overflow profiles and click a button to spam them. And users were getting these emails from these companies saying, hey, I found your profile on Stack Overflow and wanted to reach out. And they were like, how did they find me? How did they get my email address? And the answer is through all this kind of shady scraping stuff that we don't want them to do and people clearly don't want them to do with their profile, you know, without permission. So we did a similar thing. We modified our terms of service to make that not acceptable, which doesn't actually like stop the scrapers from doing it. It just lets us sort of legally go after them for doing it and tell them they have to stop. One of the funny things about this from a data science perspective is how often public data can turn creepy once it's in aggregate. Isn't that what Facebook is all about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Facebook, where public data turns creepy. <laughs> we'll give you an example of a creepy question is when does John Skeet eat lunch? You'd find oh, out nice. very easily. Nice. Because, yeah, so yeah. John Skeet has answered, what, tens of thousands of Stack Overflow questions. And that data is all publicly available in a data dump that we regularly release through our API. And you can still find out every single time during the day that he's ever answered a question. And you can take that and discover how late does John Skeet stay up, when does he answer <laughs> questions, and oh, when no. does he take the hour for lunch. Are you kidding? <gasps> <laughs> So I actually, when I interviewed here as a data scientist, this was the project that I did. Is I analyzed took, John Skeet's lunch patterns. Well, I actually analyzed my own and the person who was interviewing me, who was Jason Punyon. We looked at it and Jason's plummeted as soon as he stopped work. And you could tell when each of us eats lunch. And that's very creepy, but it's based on the fact that we'd answered these hundreds of questions. And to us, generally, any one question, we don't care that the time that we answered it shows up on it. But 
we might care when it all gets put together and you understand when you're doing this during work hours, why aren't you? And if you are a creepy enough data scientist, you could also work for Stack Overflow. <laughs> I'm envisioning this scene where like John Skeet opens the door to his office and Dave Robinson is like crawling outside with his trash can and he's like, what are you doing here? And David's like, you eat a lot of filet of fish, man. And this is for work. John Skeet, for the record, please do not stop answering questions. Please don't. We're not stalking you. We promise. I mean, Dave might be. Well, I mean, if it makes him feel any better, we still don't know what he had for lunch. We won't know that until we get access to the security cameras in the lunchroom. I mean, this is a broader issue in just everything we do online all the time. Like this data is all being recorded, you know, not just on Stack Overflow, like so much of our data is out there. And like this is just a broader issue, you know? And this has been a public service announcement on why you should be terrified of the industry that Dr. Dave and Dr. Julia actually work in. Twitter did crack down a bit last year, right, when they were media monitoring firms because they were looking at hashtags for activists. Yes, although Twitter has such a long history of fighting their own API, it yeah, always feels like they just don't want you using it as a post that they're protecting you. But I think you're right. They did find a specific case where they were trying to ensure no bad stuff was happening Yeah, like there. Black Lives Matter and yeah. things like that were being targeted. To be clear, I'm not bringing this up to like talk about being creepy myself. Bring it up for this exact reason <laughs> is that data science has a lot of these ethical risks. Yeah, yes, yeah. When yes. you see these really large amounts of public data and not considering what is being released about them. So again, people I think are often concerned about what private data company has about them, but not always how you can aggregate together the public data. And often this kind of move from Facebook to build the terms of service so that people can't necessarily build the right kinds of business around it is one way you can avoid it. I think that's right. True of a lot of industries though, right? Like the ethical concerns of sort of when you're at the forefront of any sort of science and technology stuff. So it's a brave new world that we are encountering and figuring out these ethical things. Data science is no different. Yeah, the wrong choice is to ignore it and not yes, talk about it. That's right. You know, the wrong choice is just to la la la. Let's try to do what we can to build our business. And if you don't have anything to hide, then you have nothing to yeah. worry about. Ugh. Yeah, like at least be talking about what is possible with the data that is out there. What kinds of things can be done? Like, what do we think is the right choice? What are the right choices here? You know, like, what are we comfortable with? What do you want to have out there about you? You know, well, we are going to have to have you guys on for another podcast to talk about this because we're running out of time. And this is a super interesting conversation. Thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to Stack Overflow podcast number 105, recorded Thursday, March 16th, 2017 at Stack Overflow headquarters. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend, spread the word. We need more subscribers or we will never be number two on iTunes. I'm setting a more realistic game theory based target <laughs> than Joel. The podcast has been brought to you by St. Patrick's Day and the American Leprechaun Empowerment League. Our audio engineer is Carlos Hernandez. Audio editor is David Greenley. Technology concierge is Michael Rosa. Producer is Jess Pardue. Executive producer is Caitlin Pike. For Dr. Julia Silgi, Dr. Dave Robinson, David Fullerton, Jess Pardue, and Quincy the horse I accidentally got killed in the new Zelda game because I am terrible at it. I'm Jay Hanlon. Goodbye. 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 This is Joel Joel Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this is weird. It's real Are you weird. kidding? It's kind of creepy. Aha. Aha. <laughs> this is very disorienting. Really creepy. <laughs>
I don't know how I feel about this. Oh my god, that's pathetic. <laughs> what is that? What Super the hell? Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> is that the Babadook? <laughs>